Welcome back to Lazy Sunday, an SNL after party. I am Daniel, and Shane Gillis has just hosted a all-new Saturday Night Live. It happened last night, Saturday night, and joining me to talk about it, as always, is Jeremy. How are we doing, Jeremy? I'm doing well. Thank you for specifying the night he was hosting. Well, this is a thing, as we know firsthand, and as Devin Walker found out firsthand, that some people are not aware of. Did you see the uh, video of him out in the field? He was asking questions to people about Saturday Night Live, and one of his questions was, what day is it? People didn't know? Most people knew. I think most, most people, people know. Enough people don't know that it's a little little strange, but I'm good. I'm excited to talk the Shane Gillis episode. I am. This is. I was thinking, I'm glad we don't have any listeners yet. When you come back in the archives when this is blown up, I think it'll be a fun one for the for the re-listens. But this seems like one that no matter what you say, people are going to be mad at you. Some people are going to be mad at you for what you say about it. So what's nice about this, no one's listening. No one's mad at us. We're in a sweet spot. It's funny. Uh, I feel a very similar way. But I would say that while I'm very glad we don't have any listeners, it's actually an episode I'm really excited to talk about. Because I think yes. there's a lot of like interesting things at play in terms of the show, in terms of uh, greater things outside the show. Um, and I'm glad that nobody, and by the way, no offense if you're listening. I'm not calling yeah, you You're no not funny, a nobody if you are listening. But in the grand scheme of how many listeners a podcast can have, yes. we have nobody. That makes you a part of our nobody, and we are grateful for you. Exactly. Um, and I think we can we can probably... Divert ourselves from the typical structure we've been following. It. I think there are some meta conversations to be had about the show about Shane Gillis, and maybe it's good to start with that before we get into some of the specifics of the episode. Yeah, I mean, I I was thinking about this before I uh, I started the show, which was I don't know if anybody has ever been in a uh, weirder spot when hosting SNL than Shane Gillis is uh, or was last night. Shane Gillis is really most famous, even though he's done very well for himself as a stand-up comedian, he's most famous for getting hired and then fired off of Saturday Night Live. And now he's hosting Saturday Night Live. Shane Gillis, I think more than anybody probably in the history of the show, is famous for an association with the show without appearing on the show, which is just not uh, a thing that happens very frequently. And I think that the weirdest thing for me about the position that Shane Gillis was in is by hosting the show, Shane Gillis brought in an audience that doesn't usually watch the show and also has a disdain for the show. And I think that that puts the show and him kind of in a no-win situation because, as we'll get into, uh, if you're watching the show not wanting to like the show, you're not going to like the show. And sometimes if you're watching the show wanting to like the show, you don't like the show. But this weird place that Shane Gillis is in in the culture uh, is kind of all contingent on the fact that he was, quote, canceled by SNL. So the fact that he's being asked to host by SNL creates all kinds of weird, uh, I don't know, reactions from various uh, groups, uh, the pro SNL fans and the anti SNL haters. And I'm going to be honest, 
I didn't enjoy reading most people's takes about it. Yeah, and, and just as a, a recap of, of how we got here. So Shane Gillis, stand-up comedian. He did stand-up. He also had a podcast that I believe now is the most subscribed to podcast on Patreon. On Patreon, he, though, which is Patreon. not a primary not um, over its podcast. podcasting platform. But he was going to be hired as part of the 2019 SNL cycle. And which is the cast that was Bowen Yang. Was Bowen hired to replace Shane or was it the same? No, cast? I believe him, Chloe, and Bowen were all announced as cast members. Okay, so they were all announced together. And then it's not like it was hidden. People just went through the podcast that he had been hosting, which mm-hmm. often happens when someone gains additional fame and additional attention. And they found... Which I think I think you'll agree with me is not one of the best things that we do. I would say I I so I'm glad someone went through it, but I wish it had been the SNL vetting process and not random people on the internet. Like I think it's fair to look at what someone has done throughout their career and understand them better. I agree with it's that. It's one thing, and it's one thing if he had at some point said so. Anyway, so just to, so so what uh, had happened was they found all these examples of anti Asian language. Uh, doing voices, homophobic things, things that probably would you'd think of as outdated high school, middle school, shock humor type things. And he was fired before he had his first ever episode. Which is also important to note that it wasn't when he was like a kid, but at the same time, yeah. it wasn't when he was like a famous comedian. So it was in but, this, and, and I think in this weird too, area but, where he, he should have probably known better, but also he he wasn't really under public scrutiny at the time. I do think that context is important. I think it, I think people are allowed to grow. I don't think there was really anything that Shane Hillis had demonstrated of like apologizing for the language prior to him getting fired from us. So I think that's where it's a little bit different for me. I think it's one thing if people dredged up things from the past, removed the context of the person apologizing and showing growth for it and then presented it as if you know out of context here's these things he did in this situation it didn't seem like that was the case since 2019 he's gone on to have a stand-up special that he self-funded on youtube that got a lot of hits he did a netflix stand-up this past year that got pretty decent critical acclaim and snl decided that between what he has said uh expressing I don't, I don't, I haven't really dug into what, what level of remorse and growth he's said to have done. Uh, but they decided between that and his popularity that he would bring in new people. He would add the boost the ratings by just being who he was in the context of SNL and they let him host. Yeah. So I think, real quick, and I don't want to get too deep into the weeds with this, but what were your feelings at the time when they had the hired, fired situation with Shane Gillis? I remember thinking, well, why didn't they catch this? Did they not know about this before? Or they knew about it and thought it would be fine? It just seemed like something that would go, oh, maybe we shouldn't have him come on the show as a cast member, at least until he addresses it a little bit more. Yeah, I I remember, I think I'm maybe a little, and I'm not, I haven't really watched any of his, of his, stand up in long form 
meaning I haven't watched the specials or long videos. I've just seen clips. So I'm not a, a Shane Gillis stan. I wouldn't even say that I'm a big Shane Gillis fan or a Shane Gillis fan at all. I'm I'm neutral on <laughs> Shane Gillis. But I remember thinking, because this was my main assessment of it, like it was not good. It was stuff he should not have said and he should have known better. But at the same time, uh, it didn't seem malicious to me. It just seemed stupid. And I do think that while it's not something the show should be endorsing, I also remember thinking, I don't know if I think that's something that if they saw him as someone who they should cast, I don't know if that's something that uh, he should lose this opportunity over. So I was a little bit uh, surprised that they didn't uh, stand by him at the time, and I thought maybe that was uh, questionable. I also thought uh, that the podcasting form is a weird one to have to comb through because <laughs> – uh, there's a lot of, if, if you record like a podcast every week for a couple of years, then all of a sudden you have a lot of audio content that people have to sift through. And as someone who's done a little bit of podcasting now, I don't remember the things I say on podcasts. So if someone was like, Hey, you're about to become, uh, really famous in your profession. Is there anything that we should know about? Uh, that you've tweeted, that you've said on a podcast. I, I would not really be able to remember things I say on podcasts. Now, I try not to say problematic things on podcasts, and I think I've succeeded thus far. But I... Uh, and by I the way, know. I don't think you're saying them off podcast either, just for the I, folks I out don't there that may not know who you are. That's a good catch. <laughs> it's it's not you. like you're bottling Thank these you. up and going, all right, we're done airing. No. Time for me to get out my, my uh, racist hate speech. I try to not do any racist hate speech, and I succeed at not doing any racist hate speech. Yes, good. But uh, the Shane Gillis thing, I just thought it was so weird, and I thought it was so unfortunate that it became such a, a lightning rod issue. And I then watched him become like sort of embraced by the right wing, and then I was like, you know, there's something a little bit icky about the way it all on unfolded and then i think shane gillis has kind of walked a little bit closer to the center over the last few years in terms of i think he was using a lot of the pr from being fired by snl and a lot of the people who are like oh he got canceled let's embrace him uh which is i guess good exposure i mean it's bad exposure but the exposure could be good in 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 some circles so i just was left with kind of like no strong opinions on him, but over the years I've known who he is, I've had sympathy and I've also had sort of like a a modest like eh, for me. And so I, I, I am someone I've in leading up to this episode, I, I did watch his Netflix special. And what stood out to me, because I think probably the closest thing we've had to Shane Gillis in terms of who his fans are is a lot of the, is Dave Chappelle in recent years. And from what I can tell with Dave Chappelle is he, at least in recent years, kind of punches down a little bit with his humor mm -hmm. at certain marginalized groups. With almost all of Shane Gillis's jokes, from what I can tell, he is very much the dummy in them. He, it's, yeah. it's not, it feels less punching down. He still sometimes says things that I think he should not be saying. And, and I think part of why there's an issue is who Shane Gillis is 
I don't know Shane Gillis. Who he is either seems to be or, or is quite different than who his a lot of his fans are. Mm-hmm. Especially if you go on Twitter or X, formerly known as Twitter, just it, since this episode, he a lot of his fans celebrate just the fact that he's saying words that cancel culture, you know, their their perceived cancel culture says you can't say, and they're celebrating just the fact that he's saying them on SNL. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of his fans just treat him as someone that's fighting against cancel culture and they don't look much deeper into his material than that. And I don't I don't get the sense that's really who Shane Gillis is. I don't think he's going on stage intending to just be a provocateur. Yeah, I would call Shane Gillis a a line stepper, but not really a provocateur, actually. I actually think the Chappelle thing is interesting because how his public image has changed over the years since he's hosted is not um it's like the current Chappelle and how he's viewed publicly hasn't hosted. Uh the last version of Chappelle and his his image was very different from the Chappelle who hosted the previous time. And I just think that sort of amorphous reputation he has makes it kind of complicated. I actually think a better comp for Shane Gillis, and he hasn't hosted, but he's very prominent in SNL. I think that Michael Che is not a bad comp for Shane Gillis in terms of his style. He kind of likes to be uh, a little bit like, oh, he shouldn't have said that, but I don't generally think it comes from a bad place. And we see that from Che pretty much every week where he says he says something and the audience uh, will go like, uh, and he gives that like grin and he says something back and, and he gets kind of a, a joy from being a little bit um, a little bit subversive in a way that you don't usually see on TV. And I think obviously with uh, their backgrounds being very different, it's not a perfect one for one. But at the same time, I, from the clips I've seen of Shane Gillis and the monologue I've now seen of Shane Gillis, and having watched Che a lot over the course of his run on SNL and seen uh, a few of his stand-up specials, I kind of see him more in that place. Whereas Chappelle, and I don't want to get into Chappelle, um, but I think Chappelle, uh, he sees himself as like a voice for the people. And I think... And, that, said- and that's where... That's where context, I think, becomes so different. So if you use Michael Shea, Shane Gillis, and Dave Chappelle, all three of them may say a joke that is similar. But where the context comes into play is, I think Dave Chappelle would say this joke that maybe has some material that's pushing the lines and he would go yeah like he stares at you i i am and he lets it sit those lines and make you uncomfortable yeah he and his fans yeah and his fans will go yeah way to do way to way to push those lines and his detractors will be mad that he's pushing those lines i think shane gillis pushes those lines but it's more of this aw shucks grin to the camera he's not really pushing the line he's trying to step on lines but the, and Michael Shea, I think, probably would do something similar in terms of his delivery and his intent. But the difference is Shane Gillis's fan base looks at him doing that and they go, heck yeah. Like, yeah. look at him doing this. He's a voice for the people that want to be sane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas Michael Shea's fans 
don't view it the same way. And I think that's an right. important distinction between the two. And I think we've probably had a, a, enough of a prologue. We can launch into the actual content. Do you want to start with just thoughts on the overall show and, and how Shane did? Yeah, um, I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. I, I thought this was an interesting episode because uh, I just, one, Shane Gillis is such an interesting person to watch because for me, I can't watch him on SNL. I can't really watch him anywhere and not think, would he have really made the show better? Was it a huge mistake, small mistake? Was it a dodged bullet? Well, I just, I'm constantly thinking about who he would have been as a cast member. And uh, if we're going to be honest, after this episode, I think that we maybe missed out on some great stuff that Shane Gillis would have done as an SNL cast member. But at the same time, maybe it was worth it because I think if Shane Gillis is in the cast, then maybe there's no James Elson Johnson. And I think that was a big uh, plus as well. But I, I was, I was impressed with a lot of Shane Gillis stuff um, in terms of him as a, as a comedic voice, as a performer, he wasn't very polished. I think that if he was a cast member, he either, wouldn't have made it or he would have <laughs> been uh, able to clean some of that stuff up that uh, was a little bit more, you know, uh, clumsy at times. But at the same time, I thought I thought he was a pretty good host. I thought he he brought something interesting to sketches. I thought he was a solid amount of time the driving force of sketches comedically. And when he wasn't, he was still game. I I was pleased with the hosting effort from him, and I, uh, I I certainly like him more now than I did prior to him hosting. How about so you? let me ask you this because so uh, earlier this season Nate Bargetsy hosted yeah. what I thought was a pretty good SNL, and in particular there was a couple of skits that I thought captured his comedic voice really really well to the point where i thought he wrote them i thought they were from earlier stand-up materials in particular if you go back and watch he does a skit where he's george washington talking about units of measurement and how america will have different units of measurement than the rest of the world and i thought that was one of the best skits of the last handful of years i really really loved that skit and i think a lot of it was because nate came into the show with an established comedic sensibility and that skit harnessed it really well and that's one of the things that a lot of hosts don't come in with an established comedic sensibility, but when you have stand-ups coming in, a lot of what you're looking to see is how well the show is able to cater to it. How do you think they did at capturing Shane's style of comedy and letting him thrive there? I think they did a pretty good job. Um, they're, again, like you said at the outset, Shane Gillis, from what I can tell, the joke is often on him. He's He's the kind of comedian who who he he tells a story, he line steps a little, but at the end of the day, he's the dummy. He's making jokes. Which about I think himself. we tend to both like. I think it's generally a really endearing thing. And I don't think it's it's the only way to do comedy, but it is a tried and true sort of road to success that a lot of people have taken in stand-up and in sketch. Mikey Day, uh is not a stand-up, but he is uh, someone who I think I've seen get humiliated in SNL sketches more than anybody in the history of the show. <laughs> um, so I 
I think they did a pretty good job of getting him into that lane. And we saw it in in pretty much every sketch where he was uh, the comedic driving force. He he was in some way uh, the dummy. The joke was always on him. And I think he sells he sells that really well. Uh, what do you think about how the show captured Shane's comedic voice? Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think there were a lot of examples of things that felt like he could have come to the show and said, this is an idea that I've had. What about this guy that thinks he's had an awesome life since high school? And he probably was picking on Forrest Gump when they were back in school and has no idea what Forrest has accomplished since then. Um, he Shane just gives the vibe. I think people have written about this is not some brand new take, but of the jock from high school that was kind of picking on people, but now is just sort of a dummy that never really progressed too much from them. And I think they played to that effect pretty well in, in several of the scenes. Yeah, I think uh I think if you look at uh the other thing I thought was very interesting is how they chose to use him. Like, I think if Shane Gillis was in the cast in 2019, he would have been an interesting case of, do you know how when a new cast member comes in, they're often playing these roles where they get like small screen time, like they're waiters or they're kids or they're, I think that Shane Gillis would have been almost immediately playing like grandpas and stuff. Uh, and I got that sense. A lot of dads. A lot of dads. I think a lot of coaches, teachers. Shane Gillis, they would have, in terms of those menial roles, kind of, and I don't mean to say menial in that they're sort of unimportant, but just like the paying your dues roles where you're uh, sort of early on in your in your tenure trying to get like any screen time you can. I think Shane Gillis would be skewing towards a lot of authority figures, a lot of older gentlemen. And... I I kind of would have liked to see that. I, I I have more Shane Gillis uh curiosity after this episode because I did kind of enjoy what I thought was the comedic energy that he was bringing and uh and I have heard really good things about a stand-up special. So So what was your so and, and just so to be on the same page. At the, for all of this that we're saying about Shane, I did not think this was was a particularly great great or even very good episode no i thought it was an okay episode i thought it was i thought it was really interesting though it was like a fascinating episode uh it was a big it was a big episode for students of the snl game and and the discussion of the overall snl landscape as opposed to being a really good episode for enjoyment purposes yeah because as i said at the top like there aren't a lot of times where you see an SNL episode that's truly unprecedented. But mm-hmm. with Shane Gillis, they are in like uncharted waters. It was a very interesting choice for them to invite him to host. And I think that whole dynamic is fascinating. And particularly... Yeah. So what, what was your... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, particularly because there's been so much cast turnover since then. So the vast majority of the cast, especially if you don't count Che and Colin are people who have been hired since Shane Gillis would have been hired. And that mm-hmm. just creates sort of a fascinating a fascinating dynamic where, like, in another universe, 
Shane Gillis is not only one of them, but he's like a senior member now. <laughs> the same way that Bowen and Chloe surprisingly now are kind of elder statesmen, not obviously on the Keenan level, but like they're on the the more experienced side of the cast. And it's just, I mean, I keep saying it, but it's just like, it's very, very interesting to me. Yes. So what would you say, as we go from interesting to, to the best, what would you say was your favorite best skit of the night? All right. So I um had a runaway best skit of the night, and I am very curious to hear your thoughts on it. My favorite skit of the night, I'm not sure what they called it officially, but I called it HR meeting. Okay. That is what the YouTube link does call it. Beautiful. Just so you know, I guessed I guessed the sketch names for all of these, but I was trying to guess the YouTube titles. So you I'm not just that. like freelancing here. I am using my experience with how SNL titles these sketches to try to nail it. Um, and I won't be looking throughout the show. I'm going to just be rolling with what I guessed. And I'll let you know how you do. Yeah. So HR meeting, before you get into it, that is the skit Bowen and Chloe are there to discuss some HR protocols and Shane and a hijacks at all trying to ask Chloe Trost out on a date. Yeah, uh, Shane and others. And this was, I think, a really good example of them capturing Shane Gillis's comedic voice. And there is a little bit of um, sort of things that I think might make some people uncomfortable, but I thought it was, for the most part, executed really well. I really enjoyed... Oh, interesting. What, what did you think would have made people uncomfortable? I didn't... I think I was just very aware of the fact that so many people are coming in anti Shane Gillis. So Shane Gillis playing. And I, I thought this throughout, like when Shane Gillis did the Jamaican accent, when Shane mm. Gillis is playing someone who's clearly like kind of uh, he's not harassing women in this sketch. But like, you know, it's just like I think that I think that a lot of people have these very like hard set opinions on him and uh and they're looking for reasons to have that opinion reinforced. Yeah, this was a, this was an episode with a lot of people watching with agendas, so that is fair. Right. So, what did you? What was your walk? Sell me on the HR meetings. It won me over pretty quickly, and I'll tell you exactly when it won me over. As soon as he said it restarts at the end of the year, <laughs> it, re <laughs> it resets at the end of the year. I was like, oh, <laughs> I love, I love where this is coming from. It's such a stupid, <laughs> stupid <laughs> idea for him to have. And the way that he kept kind of going back and forth between ego and he's trying and to bank, he's trying to bank the yes. He's trying to bank the yes. Um, the Keenan. We have this happen a couple of times where or we've had this happen a couple of times already since starting the podcast where Keenan comes in and he's just doing like wearing something a little weird. He's doing mm -hmm. a voice that's a little off and it's just it's it's killing me on every single level. And I mean that in a good way. It's yeah, I, I, as soon as he said he had a query, I was so in and I just think that. This was kind of, in terms of all the live sketches, the one where Shane Gillis was in his element the most. I felt like he was kind of, he was kind of cooking. He was, he was sledding downhill and it felt very comfortable, natural, funny. There was a lot of laughs for me. I, um, I liked Keenan with the tickling. Um, I the, like that his, I like that the biggest objection to the tickling was how sharp his fingernails. Well, they were very sharp. 
<laughs> They're very sharp. And he won't cut them. He won't. No. Never. Uh, and then his his interaction with Longfellow because he's gay, so can he pay him? <laughs> because he won't use them due to his condition. And he he gives him like a wad of fifteen hundred dollars because he he's he's always at the strip club. So just it felt like the most natural uh, and uh, fun use of that sensibility. And I I laughed a lot. It was for me the funniest. So easy. Yeah, good, good, good pick. I didn't. It, it was. It was up there for me. I went back and forth. I will say, I think one of the things the show has been doing a good job of this year is ensemble pieces and having a lot of people that are all getting little moments in the skit. And I think this was a good example of it. Bowen and Chloe got to have, it was, it was, no one was just the, the regular straight man. People got to have little flares. You had Punky and Smukes come in. They had their little piece Heidi had a piece and and I just before we went to the next skit as we're keeping watch on my prediction that Marcelo steps into the shoes of uh, of Mm. fan favorite a la Pete Davidson he did show up at the end wearing booty shorts and I think just keep it on your radar I I, my prediction is trending in the right direction I don't think we're probably going to talk about it but he also did an update piece he he picked up Marcelo embryo yep and he was kind of doing a lot of that same Marcelo. Reminded me his of, mom, he did a joke about how a he looks like if his mom was Sophia a few Bergara years ago where there was a bunch of kids in a classroom where they were doing a walkout in protest of gun violence, I believe. Correct. And, and John Mulaney gets aroused and cannot leave his desk. Yes. And even though John Mulaney was the host and he was kind of the center of it and he got the most to do, they had a lot of really funny sections for a lot of the different cast members who were playing the various students i remember alex moffitt had a really funny bit i remember uh, i can't remember there was one other i want to say it doesn't matter who the others were that i thought were really good but the point is that it was kind of a similar vibe where the host is at the center of it and the other cast members each kind of have their section of it what was really interesting to me and like jarring almost can you think of another time that we've seen, I believe it was eight cast members seated on on uh, stage like that because I feel like usually they max it out at like five or six if they're gonna have like a a sort of meeting sketch. Oh god! But it was eight seated I don't and then the two over there. It was ten. Let us cast know in the comments. Live. Make sure yeah. to let us know down below what you think. This is so a podcast I'll... that won't be uh, uh, uploaded. <laughs> so well, if they can still let us know. So my Just favorite skit was and it was close again i was going back and forth on this was trump sneakers which is the skit in which shane gillis is just a regular old guy that's called that trump light- sneakers that's called it's called on youtube oh i called it, it white men can't trump yeah he that's uh bad. he has a like mike situation where he puts on trump sneakers and what i liked about it is just like instead of him suddenly becoming great he just becomes someone that asserts he is great at the thing, but they very much show him still being bad at it. And I found that to be entertaining. I think it also did a really good job. So Shane Gillis came into this episode with an established Trump impression. I think for a lot of people, they would say he might be their famous fa- favorite Trump impressionist that is out there. He, you can look up skits of his. He does a 
the name of his SNL, his Netflix stand-up special is actually derived from a segment of his Trump impression. And so there was a, it was sort of a question of when, not if he was going makes to Makes a do lot of sense, actually. <laughs> Trump, yeah. And it was interesting for me going in because I was curious how they were going to have that blend with James Lofton Johnson. Because you don't want, it, there's a little bit of world building. Like you don't want him, uh, uh, Shane Gillis, to come in and be like the official Trump. I thought this handled it in a really nice way where in the SNL world, you still have James Austin Johnson as the main Trump, but this got a way for Shane Gillis to showcase his Trump. I think they probably could have done even more with it and giving him even more chances to shine, but I still enjoyed the skit overall. I was contemplating giving it an award like the John Krasinski and Dr. Strange, where people were clamoring for him to be Mr. Fantastic, but they didn't want to actually have him be the main Mr. Fantastic. So they had him show up in that movie. That's a little bit of the vibes that I got where he's not the main Trump, yeah. but he got a chance to show his Trump. And uh, Yeah, I, I still this. don't appreciate them doing that with Krasinski. Uh, I I was also uh, – I'm in a similar place, I think. I was going to give it the Smooth Move Ferguson Award because I thought this was a very clever way to bring Shane Gillis's pretty good Trump in. I, I would say very good Trump in. Uh, it's just that, again – you got to look at in terms of SNL Trump impressions. I think James Austin Johnson is such an impressive force uh, that his Trump isn't so good, even though it did have the the uh, Shane experience as a whole had me thinking like I kind of would have liked to see him as a cast member. It's not like I was like, oh, I wish we had his Trump instead. But at the same time, really, really enjoyed Shane Gillis in this uh, sketch. I especially enjoyed the scene with him and uh, and Sarah in bed, mm-hmm. where he not <laughs> only said it was it was a two hour a two hour sex session, but also they he used the term sesh, which I really liked. They can't do it again because she's tired. She's too tired. Exactly. Um. <laughs> So uh, that was really funny. And then when they start elevating it to the point where he's telling the scale it's wrong, where it just like this was another one that was really in his pocket and he did a great job. And I really enjoyed the interplay between uh, him and J.A.J. at the end. So high, high Definitely worth watching that skit if you have not already. I like at the end, James Austin Johnson's Trump is talking about how he's done a great job uh in terms of movie in terms of basketball and then they just they cut him off mid-ramble and i thought was a a good uh editorial cut i thought that had some humor to it so overall that was my favorite i'm sure you've noticed Um, this but yeah jaj has really started to have a bit of a catchphrase with trump which is saying something is so and so with or uh in in terms of blank and usually that blank is either improperly pluralized or improperly singularized. So yes. in terms of movie and with regard to something else, uh, yeah. which is a funny a funny thing because I, I don't know how much Trump has actually done that, but it does seem like something Trump would do. So I would like to start the awards because I don't think you have – so my award is the Lindsay Buckingham. Lindsay. What are you giving the Lindsay Award to? Lindsay. Uh, Lindsay Buckingham, obviously, is uh, 
the member of Fleetwood Mac, who, for our purposes, and I believe your purposes in this award, is frequently cut out of Keenan's What Up With That sketch. And uh, what was ignored? What was What was something they didn't have time for? If this was the actual cut for time sketch, I'm going to feel lied to by you. I'm not going to say. And this goes to the actual cut for time sketch. So I got it. I got it. But that's. And the reason why is if this skit had aired in the actual episode, it might have been my favorite skit of the night. Really? I thought this was a really good skit. Have you seen it? I have. I thought it was really funny. Okay. What did you like about it? The so if you have if you are, have not yet go on SNL's YouTube they have a skit Limu Emu and Doug I don't want to spoil it for you because I know this is cut for time so it's more likely you have not listeners have not seen this um, I thought he did a good job it just it kept, it went in a direction I wasn't expecting it to and <laughs> it was it sometimes SNL does parodies of things that are in pop culture. And it's almost like scratching an itch you didn't know you had. You get that sensation of, oh, this this is a good thing to parody. This is fun. Just and that's what I felt watching you, that skit. Are you talking about you didn't know you needed a parody of the of the Liberty? The Limu, Emu, and Doug, yeah. I would argue this isn't a parody of of the Liberty commercials. It's a parody of that kind of movie. It's a it's both. It's a it's both. It's it's using your expectations of what a Liberty parody might be to make a different kind of sketch. I think yeah. it's really it's really pushing it to call this a Liberty Mutual commercial parody. That's fair. It's not that, but it's it's seeing it in an SNL skit, I should say. Yeah. That I really liked. Yeah, no, I thought And the was... way he talked to Limu was of the Limu skits. He was he was very good he was in doing it. Doing a good job as Doug. He was very good in it. And it was, uh, this is not a spoiler. And also, like, you've had enough time now. I think that we can talk about it with spoilers. Um, if you don't want to have it spoiled, check it out and come back. Um, now, all ten of them are leaving and they'll come back in a few minutes. <laughs> um, but I really did enjoy watching Shane Gillis play off whoever was in the <laughs> emu costume. Yeah. Or maybe there was some puppeting there. I'm not exactly sure how they did it um but that was very enjoyable i i don't think i shared your level of enthusiasm for it because i i didn't have the thought of like oh how could they cut this i was like oh okay um i'm glad no, i, I really saw it, it but i'm i'm okay with the there's i guess something else i would have cut but um yeah i i was fine with it. <laughs> well that was my award all right, so should I give out a normal award, or should I, because we skipped the worst sketch of the night? Um, yeah, you can give a normal award. Okay, so I'm giving out a normal award. Uh, I am giving out the, the Good Riddance Time of Your Life Award. Now, this song starts by saying another turning point a fork stuck in the road which makes you think it might be a food related skit but they didn't have one of those and also that's not really what people think of when they try to read on that yeah it was a you know you gotta get creative with it i'm gonna go with the gump skit because this is about looking back 
being introspective, returning to the past, moving on or not moving on. It's not bad logic, but it's not right. I am giving the Good Riddance Time of Your Life Award to the Cold Open. Oh, okay. Have they done Tim Scott in three straight weeks? Or has it been three? Because we've done one test and then this is our third recorded episode. I believe it's three and four. Three of the four? Three and four, I believe. And the first time you were like, Devin Walker, Tim Scott, he did a voice. And then they must have heard of you. And you're like, oh, you liked him doing that Tim Scott? I think it was I think it was the test episode. I said I think they let him create something here and I think they know that they actually created something sort of out of nothing and maybe we'll see more of it. I would not have expected this much more of it, but yeah, it is force felt like a foie gras duck right now. So the reason that I'm giving it the Good Riddance Time Your Life Award, though, is there was a sketch. I'm gonna call this season thirty-seven, but I don't know for sure where the Republican candidates uh, for president that year all kind of met in a bar and they traded like lines and in between lines, it was kind of like a Sudeikis song memory sketch where they sang uh, the Green Day song. And I thought it was a really interesting kind of broader uh, overview and clever way to use what at the time were a handful of, of of uh, solid impressions of of the candidates. And I felt a similar way about this. I was not super excited when I saw the beginning of this sketch, like uh, no offense to Marcella, who I'm going to give a compliment to later in this episode if we get to it. But, uh, you know, he doesn't do a lot as Rubio. And we've seen Mikey Day play politician. He doesn't often... I, he was doing a slight voice, and you know I don't like when cast members kind of, uh, you know, they kneel on a voice impression, which is why I love what Devin's done as Tim Scott so much. But I was really impressed, one, with the way this, uh, the premise of this sketch and how it was structured, and then uh, the energy that J.A.J. and Devin brought into it when they entered, because... This is something that I think a lot of people have talked about, but the way they framed the sketch uh, created a really funny uh, angle on it. And they used some really interesting deep cuts of, of, of things that Trump has done to humiliate various Republican politicians who now have to kiss the ring. And again, from a performance standpoint, uh, we've seen a handful of people do... Lindsey Graham, but James Austin Johnson yeah, I liked, I thought the was best by far Graham. the best one. And uh, Devin brings a lot to Tim Scott. And I just thought it was a a more shrewdly done uh, uh, in terms of all the all the cold opens involving um, involving you know, the Republicans and, and various things that we've seen over the years. All the non-Trump ones, this is I think the most shrewdly done that we've seen in a pretty long time. So how, guess, how, how long do you think that skit was? Uh, 542. It was 540. That's, that was good. really, that's remarkable. You had, you, that's truly out of your pocket. Yep. I swear. As you know, that's I'm not looking at the YouTube impressive. Uh, links because I don't want to, uh, <laughs> I don't want to taint my fake names. So yes, wow, that spot five forty. I 
liked the skit. I wish it had either a little more bite or a little more of a twist or they brought in even more people for it to sustain the runtime of 540. To me, it felt like it dragged a little bit, but I, I did like it. I liked they They basically had the way they were talking about Trump be the way you would talk about someone that's a bully to you. Uh, at It was almost like they're at the cafeteria table and they're talking about the person that's the bully to them that they, they finally get a chance to bad mouth because it's just the four of them. But right. then at the same time, they keep, going back to well no but they're really great we we love them i, the I thing, thought it was a clever a clever take on it yeah the thing that was interesting for me was i felt it dragged at the front so once it got going yeah i thought it dragged at the front right and it dragged i enjoyed it so it just... i ended up really liking it because if like the first you know the first 90 seconds or so were not killing it for me then i really enjoyed that back three and a half minutes the other things i felt on this with a lot of trump humor I almost want there to be a little graphic that pops up on screen that mm. is like, hey, this is the real thing he said about this person. Because with Trump, you lose track of all these insane things that he has said or done. And yeah, so Mikey Day had something. the line, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they reference something and you're like, there's no way he said that. And so I almost want this alternate cast where they have the things pop up. Like, what? That's crazy. Yeah, it's kind of... Uh, it's like the Dune, uh, the Dune Cup thing in the song, where they're like, yes. "This is a real thing. Look it up." Yes, but I, I, I overall did uh, like the skit, and to me, James Austin Johnson's Lindsey Graham really was a standout there. I, this is gonna get counted as Marcelo Hernandez doing an impression, but he basically did nothing other than wear a wig. That's true, but like they don't even do that a lot of the time. Like <laughs> wear a wig. Yeah, like they don't do any. It could be that they just force all the impressions into the hands that they think can do them, uh, or they're just not doing as many impressions. But like the the impression counts are are pretty wildly low. Yeah. All right, we'll do a snake stuff. Second award from you. Well, how about we uh, how about we loop back to the worst of the night, which we kind of uh, skipped, but I I do have one. My All worst right. of the night. It's a little bit on brand, but it it was the sketch I enjoyed the least, and I got to be real. Is uh is Fugliana? That is the YouTube name. Yeah, this is just this is not usually gonna do it for me. Um, Sarah Sherman and I don't share comedic sensibilities, and you know I respect physically the the comedic performances that. Sarah and then Heidi and Punky and Chloe were giving the Mikey Day thing where he was talking about eating with his. So just for context, Fugliana, in case you haven't watched it, Sarah Sherman plays a sex doll. And the premise is that she's a sex doll that is um, for uglier guys so that they won't feel like they're punching <laughs> above their weight. Like they have a sex doll that's out of their league. Um, so Shane Gillis is is talking to camera and uh then they flip to a couple others <laughs> it's a it's a funny premise and i did like the premise it's just like so much of the sketch if you're gonna enjoy it it depends on how much you like sarah sherman doing her kind of like her physical stuff and i don't enjoy it that much even though i respect it uh i mean like holding her leg up for a little bit that that, that was i guess cool 
Uh, she had one funny like cutaway where she pulled up the magnifying glass, like, but generally there was not a lot here. I felt. Yeah, it. I didn't think there was anything tonight that was atrocious as a skit compared to some of the other weeks we've talked about. Mm-hmm. This didn't do much for me, but it, I don't know. This is always a strange way of judging a skit. When you see it's, all right, we got Shane Gillis and Sarah Sherman, and she's clearly doing, she's going for it, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. This wasn't as bad as many of the other skits that have been like that. I thought it was That's okay true. enough. And- it had its moments that I thought were some funny beats throughout. Yeah. So... The other thing is I it should exceeded my expectations from what I thought it was going to be when I first saw. It. I should be clear that like even though I did think the premise was funny, I enjoyed him explaining what she was. When I saw what it was going to be, there was a certain like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess fair. from that standpoint, it overachieved, but also in the <laughs> grand scheme of things, it's just like it's I never want to use Showtime for this kind of sketch. Yeah, it all depends what you're anchoring. Yeah. And it anchors to, oh, this is what I'm about to see. I thought it exceeded my expectations, but to your point, I, I'm with you. I would rather their, their screen time be spent elsewhere. My least favorite, I alluded to it earlier, and I guess I will talk about it, was the embryo update piece. Really? Yeah. I mean, what? I, I don't know. What else was there that was particularly flagrant? Not that this was so awful. Oh, flagrant. Okay. See, I thought you were going to say, what is there to like about it? And what I was going to say is, look at Marcelo Hernandez doing an update character where he's not screaming. He's not really going big at all. He's playing it like he's playing it lower to the ground. He's playing uh, he's playing it small, even, you could say. I guess. But I like some of the other things he's done. You and I have deferred on that one. I, I Some of the times he's gone on update and done his stand-up where he's playing it big, I've enjoyed. This one, I, I think that sometimes when you get these news stories... SNL has at times gone for really trying to make a having someone get on update do a piece that's really making a statement notably Cecily Strong did a goober the clown bit that was talking about her experience with Mm -hmm. having an abortion I think there's merit to having a comedic creative spin on a very personal story and I think there's also times where you just come on you're being really funny I think this could have when they said when they did the lead up of what this story was going to with the story they were about to have an update piece on i was like oh like i wonder if we're having something in the style of what cecily was doing or even molly carney did something last year about i forget what it was about but it was a similar type of making a statement in a comedic piece this one didn't do that and it also wasn't particularly funny and at the end it kind of felt like he was just doing a sarah sherman one of the things he was saying was it's a bad trend. They keep doing just make, it. It's, just roasting Colin yeah, Jost. Yeah. And I think if one person did that's the only thing they're doing on update, that's one thing. I can't tell no, that's also not good. People. It's also not when they well it's, I'm Jeremy, saying it's a crutch either thing. way. It's a crutch. <laughs> it's one thing. But if multiple and people also, are not wait, using wait, that, let's be honest, it's Che's thing before Sarah Sherman's thing. So there's Che, yeah, but, then there's Sarah Sherman. Now they're doing anybody who comes on update, I guess, is just roasting. Doing yeah. So it's I not didn't a good like trend. that. So that that probably was the number one reason it ran so low. Is like this can't be the full trend everyone's just doing now. I like the interplay with him and Che. I kind of always like it when there's there's two update anchors, right? And they come out with one. But sometimes an update character will just bring the other one in, yeah. and I always kind of enjoy it. And this one I thought was pretty funny. 
talking about <laughs> Michael Che saying <laughs> just saying that he he jerks off with a dish rag. Just a wild, <laughs> wild thing to say on television, even though it's it's probably not true. We think it's it's we don't know. Unlikely, you weren't but there. we haven't we weren't there. We didn't see it happen. Um I was just I was impressed that he didn't go big. Um and I I also think that you might be mentally I guess because it's a little bit close in in subject matter, the thing that you thought of with Cecily and and kind of the the and by the way, it's not like that's my favorite kind of update piece. I'm just saying sometimes you try to achieve something profound. Sometimes you right. try to achieve something funny. This wasn't trying in the first category, and to me, didn't succeed in the second category. So that's my. Yeah. I just favorite. think it's a little bit more. Um, it's a little bit more unusual than you represented it. A little. It's it's. I remember but, this. But with the way they like, set up this type of piece, I could have very easily seen it going through. I could have, but because I think it's so unusual, the Cecily thing, I remember I was like, I was really uh, stunned and impressed because it was it was funny, but also it was deeply sad. It was almost like a one-man show. It was, and That's we good. know that she has some, some experience there, but uh, that I think is kind of a one-of-one. One. And there was the Carney bit, but... I think the Carney bit was, um, I don't, I don't really, and even though I see the connection, I didn't think of it as as on the same tier as the as the Cecily. Not show. the same tier, but they were trying to achieve uh, something. But similar. I do think it Anyways. happens. It it happens like once every like four years. No, I well, we'll go back. I think it's a little more frequent than that. But I do have another award. And that you do. Award is the Sunday's award. The Sundays Award. Can you spell it, please? With a Y. Okay. Um, the Sundays Award. I believe is going to be about Forrest Gump High School Reunion. No. Wait, I have to Google something. Oh boy. Is it? I have to Google. Check. What is? Well... <laughs> okay, I'd like to amend it. It's the Saturdays Award. Oh no! What could this possibly mean? Let this change what you're going for. Oh, well, now I definitely don't see. If I'd known <laughs> it was the Saturday's award, I never would have guessed that high school never. reunion sketch. Um, I think it's the betting app. Yes. Why? Yeah. Well, I don't know. So, just like there's something about you saying Sundays and then amending <laughs> it to Saturdays that made me think sports. <laughs> yeah, so I thought the expression was Sundays are for the boys. The expression is Saturdays Jeremy, are for the boys, it turns out. Jeremy. Yeah. I cannot I'm not tell a bro. you. There's going to be I don't a few things. Bro. Uh, I, bro. I didn't even mean wow. to call you bro. A and you bro. <laughs> There's going to be a huge <laughs> influx of people listening to this podcast because all the Shane Gillis fans who watch the yeah, show are going to listen. They're going to be so pissed at you because you don't know that it's Saturdays are for the – Really, really I'm bad. I'm not a college football fan. I'm a really bad stuff, fan. man. So Saturdays are for the boys. And this, to me, felt like the skit that was the most geared towards Shane Gillis's audience that he brought in. It was like, oh, you're a bro that like Shane Gillis? You're going to love this skit where the premise is it's a sports betting app about people that do sports betting, which is a funny concept, by the way. I thought it was it a good concept, too. So just red meat right up the alley for the, the Gillis demographic without being edgy. Uh, oh, wait. So, but what did you think of it? 
I thought it was, I guess I would say as a concept, when they first established what the concept was, I thought it was really funny. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it really took off for me as a skit, mm-hmm. but I, I enjoyed it as a concept. At first, I thought the premise was just going to be about how these ads that are talking about how cool and exciting sports betting is, but then they were going to increasingly layer in all the downsides to it and all the ways that you actually lose in the house wins. And I thought that was the initial slant on it. And then it was, it was just this other betting app. So I thought that was, but I thought it was a funny premise. It didn't, it sometimes I think these skits are like uh, when you're making popcorn and they start really the kernel start popping and bouncing off one another. This didn't mm-hmm. achieve that level for me. I liked it well enough. Yeah, no, I think we're in, in lockstep sort of, I, I liked it. I thought it was funny. I want to, again, I'm trying to bank these just like Shane Gillis in that sketch. I'm trying to bank my Marcelo bank these yeses. Yeah. Because I know there's going to come a time where I'm going to be seen as a negative Marcelo person. And but you're I'm not a little have, hater. I'm not a little hater. I want him to do well. I loved him in this sketch. I thought he was doing a really good job uh, selling as, as kind of like the, the sleek and smarmy, like, uh, the guy in the commercial. And I don't think that it's a given that everyone can do that. Uh, just kind of the straight to camera um, in the ad parody sort of thing. And uh, and obviously Keenan is just a seasoned pro, so he can do it. Shane Gillis, I thought, was also pretty good. But Marcella, who I would be concerned about in this setting, just like, again, going big. I thought he, he picked his spots of when he would sort of add some flair and I was uh I was happy with his work here. I um do you have a friend that we both have maybe that you thought of in this sketch? No, because that friend tends to win. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But maybe there's a friend who I don't are... think I have any friends that are direct friends. I, I know I have friends of There was friends. a friend who we were watching the Super Bowl with who had a outsized rooting interest. Uh and But was... they won. They did I think win. they consistently just, win. My we were on is, that think, ride with them, though. Yeah, but there's like some people that are straight up consistent losers and are just spiraling, which, by the way, is one yeah. of the perils of sports betting. And when they talk about things like ESPN not having a sports betting app where they're both doing a commentary on the games and showing games and also have a betting app, a little concerning. I think there's definitely some people that are going to fall prey to the addictions of gambling because the house does always win. But at least no one I know directly is losing. They definitely are very invested in gambling. Yeah. Well, uh, shout out Jack Jaber. <laughs> wow. Adding him. All right. What's your last award of the show? All right. My last award of this show is the Jesus Christ. It's Jason Bourne award. I've not seen the Bourne. He's... But I'm not trying to guess what you... I think this is a meme, too. I think. That doesn't do do me much better. Do you want me to give you context for what happens in the movie when this happens? And how I think it's used as a meme? Okay. I think you're talking... The skit YouTube calls church on vacation. Uh, What makes you think that? Because it's kind of like... They call it church on vacation? That's Shane Gillis. 
I just, I just had it as church. Um, a vacation. Very rare that I give a uh, a more Shorter general thing. title. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not church on vacation. I am giving the Jesus Christ, it's Jason Bourne award to the floor. The floor. Oh, I'm I'm glad we talked about the floor. Now, that was in the running for my favorite skit of the night. Well, the reason I'm giving it the Jesus Christ is Jason Bourne Award is not Does really Bob the Lowe say it? of the sketch. No, but you're close now. It's not anything about Shane or Bowen or or Ego or Heidi. It's because in that movie, they haven't seen Jason Bourne in some time. And he's resurfaced. And it's just like, whoa, what's that? It's Jason Bourne. We don't like see people just who are not impressionists. We don't see people just do impressions anymore. That's not what SNL is at this juncture. Devin right? Walker. Well, he's doing people who are in the news, right? Mm -hmm. This is just like someone is playing someone in the framework. There is no like this sketch is about Rob Lowe, which is literally what I was railing on Andrew Dismukes about a few weeks ago. I was saying, I don't care if this is not a Tony Romo sketch. You can still do something with Tony Romo. <laughs> Here we have Michael Longfellow doing, in my opinion, a very good Rob Lowe. Like I was, I was like, I almost like sat straight up. I was like, oh my God, he's doing a Rob Lowe. He's actually doing a Rob Lowe. It was a, a riveting moment. It was, it was one of my like most exciting moments of the season. And I know that sounds strange, but like, how often do you see something in an SNL sketch? And you're like, Oh my God. Whoa. Um, it just like, I'm already beating the Michael Longfellow drum, like pretty hard. I think I'm, I'm very pro Longfellow. He can, he did a hater, but it was like sort of a micro impression, uh, a few months ago. Now he's breaking out a Rob Lowe. I, uh, I want us to put him in more sketches now, yeah. more broadly outside of the highlight, which is obviously Michael Longfellow's very good Rob Lowe impression. Hopefully Rob Lowe can do some things so we can see more of that. Uh, I thought this was really funny. I think this was a a um a weirdly structured sketch where it wasn't clear where it was going. And I think even after it was finished, I'm not exactly sure what the arc of it was, but I enjoyed pretty much every stage of it because at first the joke was on Bowen. Well, of course, at first... <laughs> The joke was on the general public who thought Michael Longfellow didn't have a Rob Couldn't do a Rob Lowe, yeah. yeah. Then the joke was on Bowen. He didn't know what milk was. I really liked Merck. There's something, a lot of funny things, but after all of these like more written ones, Merck really got me the most. Then the joke was on Shane Gillis. He couldn't As identify any of the black skit. people. Yeah. Then the joke was on Echo, who couldn't identify any of the famous paintings. So they just brought in a bunch of total losers for the floor. And I have Have you seen the floor? No, I haven't. I've just I have not asked for the floor. I enjoyed this skit. There were a bunch of lines in here that I liked. I liked Merck. I think that's one if you remember there's that office episode where, where Dwight's talking about just what certain <laughs> sounds are. And he's talking about murder. Yeah, Imagine if it was called Muckduck. Muckduck. And in this case, just the word Merck. There's something humorous about that word. The and and, and Ego brings it back at the end. She says, the Merc yeah. maid. She's stealing the Merc. The Merc maid. <laughs> uh, I liked when Michael Longfellow 
So, well, what the, she's, uh, Heidi's like, what's historic about Cleveland from Family Guy? It's like, Cleveland was the first African American cast member of Family Guy. <laughs> the notion that an animated character could be a cast member. Yeah. And he said it really in a perfect me. Rob Lowe impression. Yeah. And I also, there's something there with the, with the Shane piece of, he, it seemed like it, it couldn't, I couldn't tell if the joke was he doesn't know who these people are, or if the joke was he knows who these people are but is too afraid to get it wrong. Cause at one point Oprah's on screen and Heidi Gardner goes, that's Oprah. And he goes, I know, but I don't want to get it wrong. Yeah. I think the that joke... second one to me is a lot funnier. Like that was the joke. Yeah. Who all of these people are. Yeah. He's just so afraid of saying the wrong name. He knew it. He didn't have the confidence to, no. to, to put his neck out there and say it and be wrong. And who was, yeah. who was the person he got? There was someone he got later or something happened. And he was like, see, I know that one. It was John, John Bascott. John oh, Bascott. oh, that's uh, right. John Bascott. I don't know. <laughs> it was, it. Yeah. Who's right, it was in the artist section. Ego was supposed and to they know. showed they showed Basquiat. And he was like, Oh, that's Basquiat. See, I got that one. Yeah. Yeah. I like but, the skit. I yeah, so I, I'm with you on that. I, I have a, here's a question for you as we basically have cleaned out the, the clip on awards. I wanted to make sure we talked about the monologue because I think that's going to be most of the headlines. Yeah, we probably should talk so about I feel like let's do it. I'm going to put some time on the clock so we don't we don't go too long on it. But what were yeah. your thoughts on the Shane Gillis monologue as someone that has not seen much of his stand? How about instead of like sort of comment, comment, I kind of want to go back and forth. Um, do you think that Shane Gillis bombed? I... Well, answer your question with yet another question. Oh boy, what was the audience? What was the what was the makeup of the studio audience? It almost felt the studio audience was not Shane Gillis fans. Like they were there. So for those of you that don't like the way that SNL works, is the ground floor is primarily the lottery. It's people that have won through the lottery or are friends of the show or friends of the host like that that's sort of who's sitting in the bottom when they show that up top there's a couple of sections where you do have people that do the standby and that tends to be who the real fans of that week's host or musical guest are so i would guess in a given week you probably have around what do you say 140 people that are standby less 100 yeah no i think usually less than 140 uh I mean, the last time that we went there, it was what, like 75? That's true. I, I guess we were numbers 140 when we got in the standby line. Yeah, so call it under 100. So I guess a lot of the people there were not, they were still friends of the show or the host. I don't know. It just felt like he was doing the Shane Gillis material. He was definitely nervous. When you talk about him bombing, was he more nervous than usual? Yeah, he definitely seemed nervous. But it was just surprising that the audience wasn't more uh empatico with what he was saying because you'd think that for the shane gillis it's not like he showed up to some random show and was doing the stand-up this was the shane gillis episode and people did not seem to be enjoying his humor yeah i so it's weird i saw like tweets about oh he's bombing he's bombing he's bombing i um i tried to not watch it and try to like focus on the reaction i just tried to watch it for it and i liked it I thought he was good. I 
I thought a lot of his riffs were really funny. I actually thought when he he had that little audible where he uh he started like talking about how poorly he was doing. He kind of like leaned into it, which I think usually is great for comedians and it got him a good laugh and I thought he was pretty good at doing it, but I actually thought he did it too soon because from that point, I think it's hard to get back into these are my actual jokes. This is the material I'm doing when I thought like it wasn't going or I guess I just thought it wasn't going as badly as as tweets made me think it was. Um, so I, I watched it live having so I watched it live. So I, did, I was not reading anything before and I felt he was I don't know, full on. I wouldn't say bombing, but. I felt he was not getting a great reaction from the audience in, in terms of watching it live the first time through. The other thing And I think was... part of that is I was watching the band. The band, which will laugh at monologues that are not funny, but they'll give them big laughs, was not giving him anything. Really? So yeah. this is a real thing you think? You should watch it back and just watch the band. I will I will rewatch it. I I saw tweets like that and I was like how how like how focused on the culture war do you have to be to be watching the band all the time? But you well, think this is real, real time. I was like, why yeah. is the, the, the band was not giving him any. I, I really did like almost every, almost every riff he did. And I thought like a lot of the ones it's like, even when some jokes for me weren't landing, there were things close by that did. I thought his, his thing about when he stopped being his mom's best friend was very funny. I thought his thing about <laughs> he had a physical thing where he he mimed how he dodged Down syndrome, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Uh, and his thing about the coffee shop, how how it's going exactly how you'd think the, they're giving everyone apple juice. Like, again, those are Down syndrome jokes. But for me, they came from a very uh, it's clearly something that's close to him. It felt like that. I guess you could say he's punching down. But for me, it felt like he's he's with them he's he uh his family has that coffee shop it felt like it was fine for me and also i thought the the best joke was that thing about how his sister's house is like the weirdest uber pool you've ever been in i thought that was a really good joke um he said i think twice i thought that would get a bigger laugh and and he was he was like visibly nervous later on he was he was really struggling and i think that is in part the reaction, but also I think in part the fact that nobody has ever hosted in a circumstance like this. And the the weird situation of having a fan base that's watching for you but hates the show and a fan base of the show that's watching because they love the show but hates you. And there's people who aren't watching because of you, but they might watch at some point because they want to hate. It's just like it's such a, a horrible spot, I think. And uh, and I. For me, it felt like the weight of the weird situation he was in was kind of hitting him a little bit in live time as the reaction was not what he would have wanted it to be. And I thought it was unfortunate because I liked it, and I'm probably going to watch his, his stand-up special soon. Yeah, so there, what was surprising to me is that he didn't come out and really address it. The the, his history with the show. I think he did and, a and little, but he didn't go into it. Not yeah. really. I mean, he basically threw it to the side and then did stand up that he's has in his other specials. 
He, right. So you thought he would have like some material about it. I think that he could have in a in a para, you know, if in another version of this, he gets on stage and does a part portion of his monologue that's this really sharp way of addressing what happened and addressing how he's grown and showing some levels of you know a little bit of remorse but a little bit of we can't all be so sensitive about things i don't know some some way of him walking yeah. the line that pleases both the snl viewers and his audience and kind of puts it past him to then do the rest of the episode and instead i think because he swept it under the rug so quickly he it, it lingered as this elephant in the room for me and i i think that took him through the monologue the other thing I would say about the monologue is the the joke that he did about Down syndrome were really this is again where it's really challenging because I think you have who Shane Gillis is and it seems like he he really is an ally of uh, or for folks with Down syndrome I I had not heard that his family set up a, a coffee shop that's primarily run by folks with Down syndrome if so that's really cool I, I went to a brewery recently in Denver that has a, a similar setup. And I think that that's awesome if that is the case. But what's tricky is, so he, he used the, the R word basically as this line that someone on the schoolyard would be bullying his niece with. Mm -hmm. And he didn't really need to use that word to get that point across. Yeah. But because he, and, and, you could argue, you know, Shane Gillis, he meant no malice by using that word. He was just using it because for him to use another set of words would be clunkier or whatever. But the challenge is you then go on Twitter and other places and you see people literally celebrating the fact that he used that word. And I do take a little bit, I think that, I think that you can't just, if you're Shane Gillis, you can't just wipe your hands clean of what you're saying and the audience that's supporting you because you don't get to separate, well, this is what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And here's what my audience is thinking about it. I don't yeah. think he gets to be fully innocent there. And I do, I did take a little bit of, of issue that I also just didn't think he was using that word in a particularly clever way that warranted the use. Of it. He very could have easily have left that out and made the same jokes that he was trying to make there. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. It, it felt like it wasn't necessary, and it felt like it was there a little bit for shock value. But I also think that he could have even kept it the exact same in terms of the words he said and the way he emphasized things could have been. I think, and this was a thought I had almost immediately, and I'm not sure that I'm right, but I think if he had made more of a, of a, if he'd drawn a line between how he was speaking in that voice if if he had like actively said like oh and he had like sort of he had put on a voice for using that word and then he had let it sit and then he had hit the joke harder i think it would have created a a, a stronger sort of contrast between um him and like the character that he was playing in the joke and i think it would have like just sort of for a moment, it would have been tense, but I think the air coming out of the balloon would have like softened the blow more. I also or even when he's doing this this that bit, if he if he does say it, 
he then when he's describing how his niece's siblings come in and part of their response is explaining that it's not okay to use that word there's other ways of there were so many ways he could have done it where yeah. he's not just saying this is a normalized thing that here i'm saying it here my audience isn't it cool that i got to say this on tv the other thing is i do think there is a side of of people and i i understand this where like more and more words are are not okay and i actually remember i was watching a movie i forget what movie it was but it was on tv uh it was like it might have been the hangover or some some like some rated r comedy and they had uh they had bleeped or they had cut a word and i was like i couldn't figure out what the word was so i looked it up and it was that word and i the first reaction i had was like is it really that bad and to be honest like I think at this point it doesn't really matter because like the culture has moved there and I think it's not really a battle worth fighting. Um, and you know, the, the pros of saying it, I think are far outweighed by the cons of saying it. So I did think that was kind of a, uh, a strange moment, but on the whole, I thought, uh, the monologue was good. And on the whole, I thought the down syndrome jokes were good again, because I think, they came from, and I guess this is something I was hitting on before when I said he wasn't really punching down. I think it's because they came from a place of like lived experience. Um, there was something yeah. about the way he was he was telling those stories and 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 making those jokes that felt like he is he's used to um, spending time with people that have Down syndrome and not sort of making, you know, casual or callous uh jokes from like very limited interaction so yeah uh, and I, I think there really is a great opportunity there because you you he has this perspective of people uh you know whatever their political inclinations are coming up to him and having these reactions when they find out he has a family member with down syndrome that are not the reality of what it's actually like no. and he can come in with a way of mining humor from it that is actually enlightening people and here's what it's actually like yeah. and i think that has the potential to be so powerful and to me it's just disappointing that what it ends up being is the takeaway for his fan base yeah. is yeah he got to say that word he's one of us way to say that word on tv because if you look online that is what a lot of the reaction is and yeah. the other disappointing thing is that what it then becomes is the people that are rooting against him are going, well, of course, Shane Gales is going to say that word on TV and yeah. lose the context of the overall jokes where you can have a way of doing that humor that is both funny and yeah, positive sure. as a form of, of representation. What ends up happening is he's he's thrown chum to the the haters and like the lowest common denominator of of his fan base. And it's unfortunate, I think. Because I do think he has some really good stuff, and and uh, I don't want to tie myself into knots thinking about how this group of fans reacts to this and this group of fans reacts to that. But it's the unfortunate place that he occupies in the culture, and I don't think he's he's asked for that. And I think that if you look at his standup and you isolate who he is as a person, um. Or, or sort of if you look at his stand-up and you take out the circumstance of his hiring and firing from SNL, 
I don't actually think that um, it's it's that warranted, but that is the space he occupies, and 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 and, I, and not to, f- and I also don't want to fully let him off the hook because I think he's like good friends with Louis C.K. now. So <laughs> he became. I don't good. know. Yeah. Don't... What I'm saying though is like I don't think he he became a comedian to try to make the kinds of points that I think that people think he's trying to make. I um, I would definitely agree with that. And now he's he's in this weird place where he's become he's become famous for being canceled and and surviving it. And you don't want to throw that away, but maybe you don't want that to be your brand and and it's it's I think an interesting thing to navigate. So as we approach minute 15 of this monologue, I think it's a good place for us to probably wrap up our thoughts on the episode. In closing, question for us, I think when we we host these, where would this rank in the season? Would you want Shane Gillis to come back? And how did this impact your view on Shane Gillis? Uh, Somewhere in the middle, I would have to look at the list, uh, which I don't have up right now. But I would say, how many episodes have we had? Probably like 12 or 13 now? I would guess something like that. Yeah, so just spitballing, I want to say it hasn't been an overly strong season, so I'm gonna say it probably occupies somewhere in the in the eight to six range. Um, yeah, pretty middle of the road. Yeah, and then I think it it made my view of Shane Gillis more positive, and I would like to see Shane Gillis come back. I was actually prior to actually seeing the episode, I was gonna ask you, do you think there's any chance he comes back? Because I thought it was going to be an unmitigated disaster, but it turns out that people like to say things like that if they don't <laughs> like somebody. Um, and I didn't think it was an unmitigated disaster at all. I also saw a very weird tweet that was like, Shane Gillis, what a baller, bombs on purpose just to stick mm-hmm. it to SNL for firing him five years earlier. And it's just, if you think if you think that's what happened, then... You're lost and and you can't really be found, I think, at this point. But uh, no, I like Shane Gillis more than I did before. uh, And I would be happy to see him host again. Yeah, I I would. I agree. Sort of a middle, maybe upper middle if I fully did a review in terms of the season. I would be open to having him back. I'm not clamoring for him back the way that I would for Io Adevery from few weeks ago you got it she was great and i would love to have her back um i in terms of how it impacts my view on changulus like i it's so tricky because i think he like like we said at ad nauseum people watch him and there's a lot of point scoring like oh we like that we didn't like that and you're just rooting for the space that he occupies in pop culture so i don't know i hope he continues to refine who he is as a person while still being a funny guy. And, and if that is the case, I welcome him back in the future. And next uh, week we have Sydney Sweeney. Real quick. I think I know oh, yeah. the answer, but did you watch the musical guest? I watched it, but with no sound on. You turned the sound off for the musical <laughs> guest. Yeah. I was, I was, I forget what I was watching, watching something else. Wow. I mean, that feels, I don't want to say racist, but it feels racist. It no. feels racist. You'll watch Shane Gillis for, I don't know, an hour and uh, 15 minutes, but you won't watch a rapper for eight. Shame. I will do the same thing next week with Casey Musgraves. So wow, you hate I, music. It is not about race. It, is it about would be a really bad time. No interest in. Invited you into a, a music-based game. 
Yeah. Um, well, what do we think about next week? Sydney. For the Sydney. record, I did watch yeah. Twenty One Savage, and I'm not a fan. Okay. <laughs> He's well. fine. He's fine, but it's just not really my thing. Uh, Sydney Sweeney is hosting next week, Jer. Have you seen her in anything? I want to say no. I know check. you have seen her in one thing because I learned this the other week. She was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, that's in a right. Very small role as one of the people at the ranch that they go to at some point. She was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I um, it's possible that I see uh that I see anyone but you. By the way, not directed by Mark Webb. Will Gluck. Will Gluck. Will Gluck. The other Mark Webb. I don't. I don't appreciate you confusing Will Gluck and Mark Webb. I like Will Gluck. He's fine, but he's no yeah. Mark Webb. Um, it's possible that I see Madam Webb. Uh, just because, like, the things I've been hearing, oh boy, um, it it's kind of like a a train wreck. Sounds special. You have to just go see. Um, I I think that I think that I like most people know Sydney Sweeney for being hot, and uh, that is okay, but it also is not like i think what most actresses want to be known for and i i'm coming in as a blank slate i haven't watched euphoria i don't really know anything about euphoria um and sydney sweeney has the chance to go a long way just like every every snl host who i don't have really any opinion about but especially her because i've only seen her in one movie where she has i don't know the 16th largest role and it's a very, very starry movie. So she's made like no impression on me so far. And uh, she has an ample an ample opportunity. I'll say this, though. Um, the promo that she did with Glenn Powell, have you seen the promo that she did for anyone but you that then Emma Stone and Nathan Fielder? Yes. That was an unfortunate thing because it, it ended up making them look like really hokey and corny. But <laughs> I love the whole interaction. So she might have gotten some residual goodwill, even though the joke was on her. Yeah, I I don't know her in terms of any real movies that I've seen or TV shows. I've mostly just seen her from the press junket for anyone but you. And I appreciate you watch the press junkets an, for anyone but you? I watched some of it. Look I appreciate you. that they're doing it. Have you seen anyone but you? Show. No, but I appreciate that they're doing a throwback mid-budget rom-com. And I think this will be an opportunity for her to win or lose a lot of goodwill. I hope she doesn't get a lordied in terms of just every skit is, oh, this person's attractive, but we shall see. I, I think, think there's a that, super, super good possibility. It's that very does. possible. Yeah. yeah. So I think with that, we'll wrap this episode up and we'll talk to you next week. Later. Later.